Well, hey, friends, welcome to December the 14th, Wednesday's episode of Enough for Today. Thanks for joining me. As the opening credits were rolling, I was sitting here thinking uh, there are just too many books and not enough time. As I record this podcast, I'm in my basement. I know it looks like I'm in the church lobby because there's a green screen behind me and uh, we throw up that photograph because the basement's not all that interesting. But I'm in my study and I'm surrounded by shelves of books and I, there's just so many books that I would like to read, hundreds of them. And I, I buy them and I put and I get them and I, and I subscribe to services that provide them and I save them and I just think one day I'm going to read all these books. Anyway, um, welcome to Wednesday, December the 14th. I hope your week is going well. Tonight, we finish groups, fourth quarter, so let's finish strong. We have a lot of folks that are struggling with sickness seasonally right now in our school and church and as well as on our staff. Um, but if you're well and healthy, uh, come out tonight for a great time. It will be the final Wednesday night service of the year, and we'll have a couple weeks break before we launch into new groups in the new year. Uh, tonight in the auditorium and on the live stream, we'll be finishing our study of Micah. And uh, I started it. Pastor Stephen has led most of it. I get to do the final lesson tonight, and I'm really excited about that. It's a great, wonderful conclusion to this uh, this little book, this wonderful, powerful, beautiful little book. Well, that's a little bit about tonight. Sunday, of course, a great day. Second, second week in our series, The Happiest Christmas. We're looking for the secrets. Why were the Christmas story characters so happy? And what, what, what secrets did they have that can drive our happiness today in the 21st century? Well, right now we're in Psalm 68. And this is a powerful psalm. It's a long psalm. It's a psalm that's got some obscure places in it. And I love those obscure portions of Scripture. We're not going to get to them today, but as we get to them, they're fun to just pause and figure out, like, what is going on here? And it usually means you got to get into the language a little bit, look at some other translations. It means you got to get into usually some geography and some culture. You got to understand, are there hills? Is there water? Is there, are there valleys? Are there trees? What's going on with the geography here in this psalmist's mind? And then you got to get into culture. Like what period of culture was this psalm written? Who's writing it? And this particular psalm was written by a warrior king named David. And he serves a greater warrior king named Jesus. So this is a messianic psalm. It's showing us, it's teaching us about what it means when we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. So it has everything to do with Christmas, even though we don't typically associate warrior kings with Christmas. But Christmas is about hope and peace and joy, and you don't have these things if you don't have an eternal cosmic warrior king that's going to come riding in the heavens to earth and overcome all wickedness and all evil and bring about eternal peace and joy and hope. And that's where um, Christmas meets Jesus. Christmas meets warrior king, conquering, victorious king and kingdom. And so David has started with this, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. And he's called us to be glad and rejoice and sing, verse 4. Why? Well, verse 5 is where we pick it up today. And it says, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. 
He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So let's break it down. First of all, I love these two verses. And as fate would have it, these two verses were the first two verses that I ever preached at Emmanuel Baptist Church. This was Father's Day Sunday of 2012, and this was the passage that I preached. And I love these two verses. A father of the fatherless. And without him as a father, we're all fatherless, frankly, even if you have an earthly father. But he's speaking, David is speaking to the outcast, the marginalized, the weak, the vulnerable of society. And they're still the vulnerable of our society. And God steps in to the broken world, steps into those situations where fathers have failed or fathers have abandoned their families. And he says, I will fill the gap. I'll be a savior. I'll step in and I'll be a father to the fatherless and a judge to the widows. What does that mean? We think of judge negatively, but here judge is a very positive thing. A judge is an advocate, someone who's standing uh, in defense of the helpless widow that's been taken advantage of. Israel, Jewish times, pagan times, frankly, were famous for taking advantage of the weak and the marginalized and the vulnerable. This is why Jesus in the book of Luke uh, watches a widow give her last two mites and just before that says these, these wicked people are devouring widows' houses. God says, I'm going to defend the vulnerable. I'm going to step in and be a judge, an advocate, uh, someone who stands in for the right. So God's a good judge. Whenever you read about God being a judge, rejoice because he's an honest judge. He's a fair judge. He's a reasonable judge. He's a good judge. And it means he's going to bring final justice and judgment against all things unjust. Now, the reason we fear is because we fear ourselves on the wrong side of that judgment. But that only happens if you don't have Jesus as your as your uh, mediator, as, as your atonement, as your savior. We talked about that yesterday. So a father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. He sets the solitary in families. He takes those that are marginalized, alone, outcast, flawed, failed, canceled, by cancel culture. He takes those that have been abandoned or rejected and he puts them in families and he welcomes them into his family. What a beautiful picture. And frankly, what a beautiful picture of a church family. I remember the uh, a visiting family member of one of our church family members who came a year or two ago. Um, and this a particular person in our church family is someone that's never had much of a family, never had many friends, never had a lot of people, I'm going to be generic here, in his or her life that uh, expressed unconditional love. But when this person came to our church, uh, they found a home, they found a family. And there's some health challenges, there's some uh, social relational challenges, there's some emotional challenges in this individual. And that's why um, society has considered this person to be a bit of a misfit. But this person is well-loved in our church family, cared for, um, cared about, listened to, valued, um, allowed to serve and, and uh, to bless others, and just really brought into the family. And this outside visiting family member came and 
was witness to this, was witness to this love and this full acceptance that her family member was receiving in Emmanuel. And it broke her heart and she wept. And she said, I've never seen my family member loved this way. And she was so happy. This is God. This is the work that the Spirit of God does. He sets the solitary in families. He makes you a part of a church family. And if you're a part of Emmanuel, we're so thankful that you are. If you don't have a church family, then let God take you as a solitary believer and let him put you into a family. He has a family for you. It's not going to be a perfect family. It may not be all the things you wish it were, whose family is. Uh, but God nonetheless wants you to be a part of a church family. I was thinking today about that. I was answering an email to a man that was asking me about uh, being a part of a church family. And I was thinking about Jesus growing up and even as an adult going to temple, going to synagogue. Every time he went to synagogue to worship or to hear the word of God or to teach the word of God, he went and he was in the midst of sinful, broken, sometimes even diabolical, mischievous people people who didn't even believe who he was. And yet he went to these places and he worshiped in these places and he received worship in these places. So in human world, Jesus participated in broken human ways of worship. And so if Jesus did, we should too, right? And every church family has its own brokenness and its own insufficiency. It's never going to be perfect but it's always going to be a place where God is glorified in our lives and where we can be brought into families. And then the, the last part of this, and I'll close out for today, he bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God is a, uh, a liberator. He brings out those bound with chains. This is a picture of the gospel and redemption and what we've experienced in Jesus. He took captivity captive. He rode into the jaws of death and rode out victorious, delivering us and breaking the chains of our bondage and our condemnation. But those that rebel, those that rebel against his mercy and his grace and his goodness, what have they done? They've condemned themselves to living in a very dry land. Now that applies to an unsaved person, but on some level it applies to a saved person too, doesn't it? Because we can still rebel against our father, our dad. We can resist him. And when we do, always, even when it means we get our own way and things happen every, every way we wanted them to happen, when we're living in rebellion against God, it never fails. We're going to end up in a barren and a dry place. My friend, take hope and enjoy the fact that God is a father to the fatherless and an advocate, a judge for the widows. Let him set you in a family. Enjoy that family, albeit it will be imperfect. And celebrate the fact that he has broken your chains. Happy Wednesday. I hope to see you tonight. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.